The scripture reading for this morning is from Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, one more sermon, and we will be done with our study of Galatians. Uh, I always get sad getting to the end of a book study, but you know, there's so much more Bible. So that's, that's the good news. There's more to come. Uh, as I mentioned last week, actually, no, as I mentioned back when we looked at the first part of chapter 5, Paul ends his letter of Galatians after spending four chapters driving home the point that the impossible burden of obeying God's law as a means of being right with him is now something that can be forsaken, something that can be utterly ignored, because now we're free in Christ. That impossible burden has been relieved from us. The, the burden that the false teachers in Galatia were, were forcing upon those Galatian Christians, that, that's now removed. We are free in Christ. But Paul is driving home, in our freedom, we are called to love one another. In chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, he said this, For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now that was important for the Galatian Christians to hear, Because a consequence of being duped by false teachers into thinking that acceptance with God is based on your performance, on your religious performance, or your adherence to the law, is the destruction of relationships. Paul had to tell them not to bite and devour one another because that's precisely what they were doing. That is the inevitable outcome for a group of people whose priority is personal religious performance and not faith working through love. The argument that Paul made throughout the bulk of chapter 5 is that the key to living that life of love is walking by the Spirit of God, so that the fruit of the Spirit of God, love and its attributes, might be born in our lives. And then at the end of chapter 5, Paul spoke of our struggle to keep in step with the Spirit as a battle between the desires of the flesh, the sin nature that remains in us, and the desires of the Spirit, the Spirit of God who now lives within us. Walk by the Spirit, Paul says, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. You won't succumb to the temptations that arise as a result of your sin nature. Well, today Paul shifts the metaphor from one kind of field to another. He moves from the battlefield imagery that he was focusing on there at the end of chapter 5 to that of a farmer sowing seed in a field. It's a brilliant move. Look at six one, chapter 6, verse 1. 
Paul said there, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. And I mentioned last week that that when Paul speaks of someone being caught in any transgression, he's not talking about a gotcha moment where someone else catches someone in sin. He's talking about sin itself catching someone, being caught up in some sin. And that word that is translated caught is actually contains within it an element of surprise. It's something that the person caught in sin didn't see coming, like an ambush on a battlefield. But now Paul's talking about sin in a different way. He's talking here about the long-term effect, the inevitable and universal consequence of sowing to the desires of the flesh, believing there won't be any consequence. The battlefield imagery doesn't work here, but farming does. Sowing and reaping nails it. Paul isn't warning us in this passage this morning to be on guard against being caught unaware by sin. Paul's challenging here this morning the fundamental self-centeredness and short-sightedness with which we approach life. We so often live, I so often live, as if the moments that make up every day and the decisions, the choices that I make every day that seem so inconsequential don't matter for eternity, but they do. We're sowing. Every one of us is sowing each and every day seed in a field that will result in a harvest. The only question is what seed, which field, and what kind of harvest? So there's three things we need to see this morning as we look at this passage. First, the principle of the seed. Second, the priority of the field. And then third, the promise of the harvest. So first, the principle of the seed. Second, the priority of the field. Third, the promise of the harvest. But first, let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, we're thankful for this portion of your word. We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would work in our hearts in such a way that we receive the truth that is contained here. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from this, your law. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, the principle of the seed. And the principle is there in the second half of verse 7. Take a look with me again. Paul says there, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. That's the principle that God has woven into the very fabric of his creation. You see it in the realm of nature. You don't have to be a farmer to understand how this works. If you sow corn, you're going to get corn. If you sow wheat, you're going to get wheat. If you sow good seed, you'll probably get a good crop. If you sow bad or spoiled seed, you'll get a bad crop. If you sow plentifully, you should expect a plentiful harvest. If you sow sparingly, you'll probably reap sparingly. If a farmer wants a bumper harvest, he or she needs to sow not only the right seed, but the best seed and lots of it. It's no less true in the moral and spiritual realm. You see the principle applied in the Old Testament in various places. In Job chapter 4, verse 8, Job says, Those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. 
In Hosea chapter 8, verse 7, God says through Hosea to the people of Israel, they'll sow the wind. They who sow the wind will reap the whirlwind. It's, it's the same kind of an idea. And Paul, of course, is making that same kind of an application in this passage. So let's ask, what are the seeds? What are the seeds? Well, the seeds are your thoughts, your words, your deeds, all you think, all you feel, all you do, all you're willing, all you're desiring, all you're acting. That is the seed to which Paul is referring. You may be planting bad seed, seeds of lust or greed or bitterness, seeds of envy or gossip or strife. Those seeds may lie dormant for a very long time, but they will sprout. They will grow. It's true in a positive sense as well. You may be sowing good seeds, seeds of kindness and patience and and goodness, seeds of sacrificial service and loving obedience. Those seeds may seem to be lying dormant for a very long time, but eventually they too will sprout. Every day, in all kinds of different ways, we are sowing seeds. The person you are tomorrow is largely determined by the kind of seed you plant today. So Paul gives a warning. Take a look at verse 7 again, the first part of verse 7. Paul says there, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Don't believe that you can sow where you want, whenever you want, whatever you want, without consequence, Paul is saying here. It's impossible in nature, and it's impossible in the moral and spiritual realm as well. Don't expect that sowing bad seed will result in a harvest of holiness. To do so is to be deceived, Paul says. Who's doing the deceiving? Well, clearly in the book of Galatians, the false teachers were doing the deceivings. Uh, Galatians 3, chapter 1, Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? These, these false teachers, of course, had bewitched them. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, Paul says this, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So others can deceive us, but of course we can deceive ourselves. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, which I read earlier, um, brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. We, we can be deceived into thinking that we're okay, we're fine. And of course, Satan deceives as well. In John chapter 8, Jesus says to the Pharisees, but then describes who Satan is, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. C.S. Lewis put it well in the screw tape letters when he says this Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. In other words, you may think, well, I'm not doing these, these big and horrible and terrible things, and I'm not feeling this weight of, of spiritual attack and deception from, from the enemy. But the reality is, it's these decisions, day by day, moment by moment, without consequence, without concern for where it's leading, that is the gradual road that so deceptively, deceptively leads us astray. So the question at the end of this first point is, what seed 
will you sow today? What seed will you sow today? What are the thoughts? What are the, the actions? What are the attitudes? What are the words that you will sow today? But then Paul shifts the metaphor from seed sown to the field in which it is sown. So we move, secondly, to the priority of the field. Take a look with me at verse 8. Paul says there, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So the first alternative is to sow to the flesh, to plant seed in the field that is the flesh. The flesh, remember, is your sinful nature. It is that nature that still resides in you. The flesh is not your, your body. Your body's good. It's created by God. It's going to be resurrected one day. This is the sin nature that dwells in us when Paul speaks of the flesh. You sow to the flesh by gratifying the desires of the flesh. That's what he said back in chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, think about the desires that lie behind the seed that you plant. What's behind the, the lust? What's behind the greed? What's, be, what's behind the, the harsh words? What's behind the, the, the desire to you know, have save face and be seen as important in the eyes of other people or to hide from the disapproval of other people? What's behind all that? It's the idols of our heart. The desire for power, control, approval, security, comfort. Oh my, how much does comfort idolatry lead us to live in the moment, for the moment, as if nothing else and no one else matters? It's because in our heart of hearts, what we really prize, what we really want in those moments is comfort, escape. And so we'll sow seed, all kinds of bad, ugly, sinful seed in the field that is the flesh in order to satisfy our fundamental sinful desires. Sowing to the flesh simply reinforces your idolatry. The alternative is to sow to the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? We can look back through Galatians, and again, you could, you could do a recap of, of uh, Galatians chapter 5, and especially 16 and following, where he speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And you can be reminded there as you look at Galatians that sowing to the Spirit is keeping in step with the Spirit. It's walking with the Spirit. It's allowing the Spirit of God that dwells in you to reign in you. Paul elsewhere says in, Galatians, in Colossians chapter 3 that sowing to the Spirit uh, it means to set our mind on the things that are above and, and not on earthly things. So our, our thinking is focused there. All that we think is, is focused on God. Our words as well. Paul in Philippians chapter 4 says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent or worthy of praise, think about these things. So again, there again, thinking about these things, having our minds set on these things. Back in the passage for this morning, doing good works is a way of sowing to the Spirit. So in verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share all, share all good things with the one who teaches. You know, we could write a sermon here on this and talk about um, the, the, the legitimacy of a, a preacher like me being paid for what I do, but I'm not going to preach a sermon on that. 
All I'm going to simply say is what Paul is saying here is good teaching is worth investing in. People who will hold up the word of God and proclaim it to you are worthy of a wage. And a good work, a way of sowing to the Spirit, is to, in fact, provide that wage for the one who is teaching you. But then, of course, he says down uh, at the end of the passage, verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. So these good deeds, these works that we do, no matter who the person is, we heard about this in the um, update that Dan shared. There there are people who we've never met that we have opportunity to to do good for in Jesus' name. But again, Paul says here, especially those who are of the household of faith. Because the way in which we love and care for one another bears testimony to a watching world, to who Jesus Christ is. In other words, sowing to the Spirit means living to please God and serve others and not living to please yourself. So, as with the seed, so with the field. What field will have priority in your life today? And to help us answer that question, we turn third to the promise of the harvest, because Paul points us there. Take a look with me again at the passage. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And then verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Paul's pointing here to a harvest, two kinds of harvests. There is first the harvest for those who sow to the flesh, and it's a bitter one. It's a bitter one. He speaks of corruption here, but in, in talking about the desires of the flesh, we're reminded of the cravings that can that can so often go unfulfilled in this life, even before the ultimate corruption that is to come in the life that is to come. I think of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 8 here. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Or in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 8, there is no end to all a person's toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. There's... (laughs) The only thing more tragic than giving your life to that which will never satisfy is then spending eternity under the wrath and condemnation of God. Corruption in the life to come. The one who sows to the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now again, he's not talking here about the normal struggle of the Christian life. The Christian life is a warfare. We do get caught up in sin. Even some of us here this morning have been sowing to the flesh for years and years and years. Don't think that consequently you are lost because you're hearing my voice. You're hearing the offer of the gospel. Turn to Jesus Christ today. Let his work begin to be done in you. Let his spirit invade you. Let there be a new desire and a new ability to sow to the Spirit and no longer to the flesh. It will continue to be a battle. It will be a war until the day we go home to be with Jesus. But there will be a new harvest that awaits you, a harvest of righteousness. Sow, therefore, to the Spirit, because those who sow to the Spirit will not experience a bitter harvest, but a blessed one. A blessed one. Paul says in this passage, 
The one who sows to the Spirit, this is verse 8 again, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And you read that and you think, great. Someday I'll die and then I'll get the harvest of eternal life. But brothers and sisters, eternal life begins the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ. We get the first fruits of the Spirit. We get the fruit of the Spirit being born in our lives. That is the kingdom of God evidence in you now. Oh, the, the best is yet to come. We're, we still deal with sin. We still get sick. We, we, that's coming. The full fruit of eternal life, the full blessedness of the kingdom of God is future, but it's also present. In part, we get a foretaste, even now. We have an opportunity to reap. How do we stop sowing seed in the wrong field and start sowing it in the right field? Is this just, you know, make up your mind and work harder? Well, it is hard work. But it doesn't begin with our effort. It begins with what God has done. So first, desire the better harvest. Where where does this change begin? Where, Where does... Where does it begin that we, that we sow the right seed, the seed of, of good deeds in the, in, in the, to the spirit and not to the flesh? It begins with, in the realm of our desire. I mean, that's so evident in this passage. Paul's talking about desiring something. No longer desiring the, the fruit of the, the bitter harvest of the flesh, but desiring the, the harvest of eternal life. C.S. Lewis captures this so well in The Weight of Glory when he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Desire the better harvest. But then secondly, develop the practice of gospel gardening. Develop the practice of gospel gardening. First, pull the weeds. How do you you pull the weeds? That's repentance. It's actually turning away from sin and turning to God, confessing your sin. Pull the weeds. Suffering has a way of tilling the soil, doesn't it? Suffering that comes in your life can either either harden you to God or it can open up the soil of your heart to receive the seed of God's word. We have a role to play in the pulling of these weeds, and it's repentance. But then second, plant the seed. Or allow the seed to be planted in you. Obey God. Right? I mean, if, if sowing the seed is... Your thoughts, your words, your deeds, your actions being sown to the Spirit and not to the flesh, then this is a call to obedience. Now, you may think, oh, man, isn't it hypocritical to obey God if I really don't feel like obeying Him? I mean, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Listen, it is not hypocrisy to do the right thing for the right reason, even when you don't feel it. That's just walking by faith and not by sight. It is hypocrisy to do the right thing for the wrong reason in order to draw attention to yourself, but to do the right thing, obeying God for the right reason, because He is God. 
even though you don't feel it in your heart, is simply walking by faith. It's simply being the creatures that we are before our Creator, yielding our lives to Him because He has ownership rights over us. Pull the weeds, plant the seed, water the earth. Oh, let the Word of God flow into your life. Through the means of grace that God provides, study and meditation on God's Word, prayer, corporate worship, being here together, the sacrament received in faith. These are the ways in which God waters the soil of our hearts. And then fourth, wait. Wait for the harvest. Oh, it is so hard. I hear Paul's heart in this passage for these Christians. In verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. His heart has been so broken for them because of what they have gone through at the hands of these false teachers. He had preached the gospel to them. They had believed he had gone away. The false teachers had come in and convinced them that faith in Christ wasn't enough. They had to work in order to be accepted by God. They had to obey the law in order to be accepted by God. And they were weary. And then Paul comes in and says, on the one hand, you don't have to work to be accepted by God. But on the other hand, you are called to love. Don't grow weary. There is a harvest that's coming. Don't grow weary. As Paul said in Ephesians, perhaps he said to them when he was with them, and the Word of God says to us as well, how is it that we're able to not grow weary, to press on in strength? Because the same Spirit that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, powerfully worked to raise Jesus Christ from the dead, is powerfully at work in you. The same spirit by whom we walk, the same spirit whom we keep in step with, is the very spirit who lifts us up when we fall and enables us to follow Jesus. So there's the practice of gospel gardening. Pull the weeds, plant the seed, water the earth, and wait. But what will fuel that desire that I spoke of? Remember Jesus. His entire life was devoted to sowing to the Spirit and not the flesh. Indeed, every single moment of every single day during his time on earth, he sowed to the Spirit. And he was sustained by constantly keeping his eye fixed on the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? What was his harvest? Your righteousness. The harvest that Jesus sowed to receive was your righteousness, your salvation. Is the joy of the harvest in view then for you? Do you have your eyes fixed on that which is to come? Are you seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God? Because your life, my dear brothers and sisters, is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, and he will, the harvest will be brought in when Jesus returns. And the promise is that we will receive a yield far greater than the investment that we made because our harvest is bound up in the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we again, we ask that by your spirit you would help us to to throw away the seed that we so often uh, plant, 
seeds that flow from our sinful desires. And instead, by your grace and the strength that you provide, sow the very seed that will lead to a harvest of righteousness as we look to our Lord and Savior in faith, who will come and rescue us and, and, and bless us with a harvest beyond all our imagining, even eternal life with him. And this is in his name that we pray. Amen.